in life we're often impressed by people who dedicate their time to fighting injustice, sometimes personal injustice that's being done to them, sometimes to injustice to a group of people, and sometimes to a whole country. People get a lot of energy when they're fighting for justice, when they think they have a righteous cause, and it can be even inspiring sometimes to hear their story. In a way, the Buddha was similar, but the injustice he was fighting was the injustice of the Kalesas. And in the end, the Kalesas, there's no one really to blame but ourselves for what they do to us. The effects of greed, anger, delusion on the mind for one lifetime already wreak havoc with one's personal sense of peace and happiness. Multiply that by innumerable lifetimes and there's a great cause for justice, to fight for justice against the defilement but not against another person or group of people, against our own ignorance. The underlying condition for kilesas to arise, our own ignorance, is what we're fighting, is what the Buddha fought. So it's a very sobering fight, maturing fight learning to turn attention inwards and look more deeply at one's own body and mind and to see where ignorance is coming from and the damage it does, the suffering it causes. And that's where you get your motivation to keep practicing, but to keep turning the attention back inwards rather than always blaming the world around us. Our environment and other people do have a role to play, of course. But ultimately we have to take responsibility for our own happiness and suffering in life. The fruits of our own actions, it's karma. Now the Buddha understood this deeply over all those lifetimes as a bodhisattva. It's absolutely dedicated to resolving this issue, purifying the heart of the causes of suffering, eradicating ignorance, avicca, freeing the mind from the effects of the kilesas, and then showing that way out of compassion to everyone else. You think about it, 
before there's a Buddha in the world, nobody understands quite how to deal with their own minds, how to eradicate suffering. A Buddha, out of his own conviction that there must be a way, doesn't give up his practice until that has been resolved, sorted out, whatever the obstacles, and without a teacher, so without any confidence that anyone else can show him the way, just determined to learn from his experience and just keep investigating whatever it takes until the truth has been penetrated however long it takes, whatever it takes willing to give up everything for that end and realizing that it is a sort of injustice in the way that ignorance conditions our mind lifetime after lifetime greed, hatred and delusion taking over the mind fooling us into creating craving, attachment and wrong views, seeking happiness in the wrong places <coughs> deludedly attaching to the world in the wrong way so that we keep conditioning more suffering more anger arising, more greed, more jealousy, more hatred and so on The process of waking up to the truth, following in the footsteps of the Buddha, partly is coming to realize that injustice, as it were, we've been tricked by our own defilements. We believe certain things for a long time that through our practice we come to realize were false beliefs, cause of suffering, not worthy to be held on to, and yet we have held on to them for so long. We've identified with these five candors for so long as a self, identified, believed in them, held on to them, when in fact they're just a source of suffering, and they're ultimately not self. So following in the footsteps of the Buddha, we're developing a curiosity to really know what is the truth. Not just accepting things as face value, in a complacent way, habitual way, not just kind of going along with the way things are, kind of slipping through life, but actually summoning, <coughs> summoning up, <coughs> summoning up the spiritual qualities that 
will help us to really penetrate truth, penetrate the Four Noble Truths, really understand where suffering comes from and how to resolve it. So obviously to do that requires courage and endurance, patience and willingness to keep confronting difficulties, being patient with the obstacles and the difficulties of our own mind. And Jen Charles said when we come into the monastery first it's always Kilesa is manifesting as ditti and mana, the attachment to views, the conceit of self that causes us trouble. And most of us probably already realize that, if only half realize it. Because we come into the monastery with many views already accumulated from our past experiences but not all of them are correct, not all of them are even supporting the arising of wisdom. Some of them are just wrong, mistaken, deluded. And as long as we just keep blindly attaching to our different views and beliefs <clears throat> without ever checking them, questioning them, then they'll keep spinning us around into suffering lead to conflict with others, and conflict and doubt, uncertainty within ourself. So much of the practice is exposing this in the, uh, in the beginning of our practice in the monastery. We're exposing our attachment to views and this sense of self-conceit, the sense of separation from other people, the sense of comparing Better than, than, better than, same as, worse than, higher, lower, better, worse, and so on. Then views on things, what is right for me, what I think is good and right in this world, and for me, what is wrong, what is the best, what is the worst. We already have a whole stash of opinions and views on everything and a sense of self to back it up. We've identified with self in the past, so we have memories of how we have been and what we like and want. We have projections into the future, what we want for the future, what we're expecting, what we're afraid of, and so on. So over and over again, the teaching is always will come back to the present moment, establishing mindfulness and an awareness of the way things are in the present moment to break some of this habit of always falling into views, opinions and the conceit of self. And the basic practices that we're learning and the training and in the rules, the routines, the practices of the monastic form are helping that, even though they stir up this very sense of self which is a problem for us, which is a cause of suffering. But they're helping us also to 
establish mindfulness so that we can see more deeply what is going on. All the practice of sila, the monastic etiquette, the vinaya, the reflections on our lifestyle, the use of the requisites, the different practices of a Buddhist monk, they're all helping just to establish mindfulness in the present moment, giving us practices and proper ways of behavior that can form the basis for developing mindfulness and clear comprehension of what we're doing from moment to moment through our day. Things to learn. Training body, speech and mind in bringing up more mindfulness. And this supports practice of just basic samatha, bhavana, calming the mind using the meditation techniques that we're learning so that we develop a sense of basic mindfulness, all-round awareness and a sense of well-being that we're developing more stability of just knowing what we're doing from day to day, knowing what our role is, our, our function is as a Buddhist monk or a trainee monk. Obviously at first we don't know, we're learning, so there's a bit of uncertainty, hesitancy, even doubt, is this really good for me? But if we keep practicing, then we start to gain a sense of being more at ease within the practice, within the form. And that's directly experienced in our mind. We feel more comfortable, more happy, because we know what we're doing. We know what we're supposed to be doing and know what we're doing. This allows people from different backgrounds, different beliefs and views to come together because we have a similar aspiration is to train in this path, follow the same vinaya, the same standards of practice, same meditation techniques and so on. So little by little that sense of well-being starts to arise. That's particularly because we're quietening the mind down. The basic craving, dhanha, that arises all the time. Becoming, craving for sense contact, sense objects. Craving for non-becoming, getting rid of rejecting things. Basically the liking and this disliking that's affecting the mind all the time. Coming into the monastery, learning the Vinaya, learning the way of meditation, patiently putting effort into that, quietens the mind, quietens the mind from its dhanha. The deep, deeply rooted ignorance that fuels Craving and attachment is still there, but at least the mind is settling down, quietening down enough for us to look and learn from our experience on a deeper level. But to achieve that, we have to be willing to put effort, put the time and the effort into learning how to live the monastic form 
and it will take time. We have to put up with our own mental reactions to everything based on past views and this sense of conceit that comes up. We have to put up with that, be willing to endure through the reactions, the views, the opinions, whether it's verbalizations, endless thinking and judging, anxiety, or more deeply rooted negative emotions, feelings, just unpleasant feelings based on discomfort, based on our views and our attachments. We have to put up with all that and be willing to put up with that. But the quicker we come to understand and appreciate how the practice works, then the more willing we are to put up with any discomfort mental discomfort, physical discomfort we experience in the training because we know it's, in the end it's going to bring us a sense of ease and calm. The more we can see that happening then the more willingly we will put up with any short-term pain or unhappiness that's arising in the mind. It's the pain of pulling the thorn out when you have a thorn in your foot, you, sometimes you don't even want to pull it out because it's too painful, but it's better to pull it out, experience the pain so that you, in the short run so that you can have the long-term freedom from the thorn and any infection or pain it might bring. In working with our ditti and amana views and self-conceit, it's like that, it's painful but it's for a higher happiness. That's where we need the patience and endurance and the appreciation of how the practice works so that we're willing to put up with a little bit of pain. And the quicker we learn, the quicker we get through that pain. It's not that it's going to be there forever. Very quickly we can establish a sense of well-being the more we give up to the practice. The more we put in effort, we put into learning the ways of a samana, a Buddhist monk. We learn the chanting, how to wear the robes, how to make robes, how to look after them, how to use a bowl, how to look after it, how to eat alms food, and accept alms food, how to live simply and learn to live harmlessly with the people and the world around us. The quicker we learn these skills, the quicker they are mind calms down, the dunha that's normally agitating us starts to quiet down. And that's where wisdom can start to function better. We can actually see upadana, attachment for what it is, uproot it through clear understanding of what it is. Now upadana is really the ingrained, the hardened dunha that arises over and over again as the mind reacts to its experiences, pleasurable, unpleasant, pleasure and pain. The mind reacts to feeling and pleasantness, unpleasantness with dunha all the time and over, over time that hardens to become upadana, attachment. And that reinforces ignorance, so it just becomes embedded deeply in our consciousness. And we're so used to identifying with it 
without questioning it, that it's just sitting there and then it's just waiting to cause us more pain. As Lumpur Bhutatasa used to say, Dunha is the, the dog barking, Upadana is the dog biting. Upadana is the real cause of pain in the mind because it's just so ingrained. Upadana is clinging, so clinging to views, views on everything, even views on Buddhist practice and the way it should be. Views on the Vinaya, views on meditation, views on the monastery, views on teachers, views on every aspect of Buddhism still can be Upadana. And of course, views on the rest of the world and what it has to offer. Views on the way of practice, views on sensuality, what is good for me and right for me, what I like in this world. What I like is usually what I see as good and right for me. And that conditions what I don't like. Not getting what I like means I'm getting what I don't like endlessly leading to proliferation of the mind and pain, suffering, anguish, despair, pain, grief, despair, disappointment, so on. All of this is upadana to be investigated with wisdom. And the only way wisdom can function if we can quieten the craving down a bit through the practice of sila and development of mindfulness and samadhi. And wisdom functions very well. And we can keep looking more closely at upatana and seeing it for what it is, source of pain, source of disappointment, suffering. And just can be creative with this, just observing in the course of one day how many different views you can recognize coming up, different forms of upatana, clinging to the, the ideals we have in our mind, views on things, opinions about things, what is right, wrong, good, bad, right practice, wrong practice, good person, bad person, judging ourselves, judging others, views projected into the future, views where we drag along the past, just erupting into emotional states, negative states, suffering based on past experiences which are long gone, but we just let them come up into the mind and grab onto them with fresh upadana, without establishing mindfulness and knowing the past memory as a memory, we just let it proliferate the mind in the present moment and suffer again over something that's happened a long time ago. Or anxiety and worry about the future, things that have not happened and may never happen, and yet we can still burn ourselves over and over again thinking the worst about ourselves, about other people, what might happen, this happens, that happens, just mentally proliferating based on upadana because of the failure of mindfulness. Not enough mindfulness, not enough clarity, clear comprehension. 
just in one day we can keep watching that over and over again, the same process. And the maturing aspect of wisdom, you become used to seeing something, you become tired of it, tired of suffering in the same old way. Not tired in the sense you just give up and can't be bothered, but tired in the sense you want to let go of it. Give it up because you can see it's a source of suffering. And your mind willingly and quite happily goes to peace, goes to spaciousness, emptiness of ditti and mana, emptiness of attachment to views and clinging to a sense of self. It doesn't mean to say a vacuum where there's nothing there. It means just the emptiness of self from experience. You're bringing your mind in line just with the way things are. It doesn't mean to say no views arise when you're experiencing emptiness. It means there may be a view arising, but you know it as a view. And you know it as not self. So it's not a cause of suffering. views about this body, about the mind, about our past, about our future, about other people. All of it can be seen as empty. And the mind returns to quietness, spaciousness, peace. And that's a living experience we can achieve, attain any time during the, in our day when we establish mindfulness and enough clarity and we investigate our own experience and just bring the mind back to the reality of non-identification, non-attachment, rather than being caught into the delusion of attachment, identifying with every thought, every opinion, every verbalization, every mood, every feeling, every emotion, every sensation, always identifying, falling into it, distracted by it, lost in it. Every moment of the day we've got a chance to bring the mind back to the real nature of our experience. It's just seeing the way things are. It's just that way. It's just that way. A thought is just a thought. An emotion is just an emotion. The body is just the body. Feeling is just feeling. Form is just form. Mind is just mind. In his vast and infinite wisdom and compassion, the Buddha has already given us all the shortcuts. We all want quick enlightenment, quick results from our practice. He's given us all the shortcuts by laying out the path of practice for us. He's answered all our questions, our doubts. The more you read, the more you realize how the Buddha's sorted it all out for us. But we haven't yet made that Dhamma our own. We haven't yet brought it into our heart. We haven't yet developed the same qualities of insight that the Buddha did. But the shortcuts in the way of practice are all there for us, ready. Now it's up to us to practice. And in the end you can't blame anyone else. You can't 
blame the world for not being good enough for ourselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The world should be full of arahants so that I can practice more easily. If everyone was an arahant around me, then I wouldn't have to put up with all of other people's defilements. You know, that's just going to create endless suffering if you're always thinking like that. Just bringing the mind to see the Dhamma that the Buddha taught and applying it to your own karma, your own situation throughout your own day, throughout your own life. If we get stuck just on the level of views and opinions, well, you can have views and opinions about Buddhism. What's the result? You can have controversy, you can have arguments, debates, differences of opinion. You can have schools of thought, different Buddhist schools. You can have discussions about samatha, vipassana, Theravada, Mahayana, and all those debates have been going on for 2,500 years. And they'll probably be going on for the next 2,500 years. And if you just get stuck in that level, then you'll miss the boat. Buddhism will be gone. It's not, the Buddha didn't teach these teachings just to get argued about, debated about. Some argument and discussion can be helpful sometimes to clear up mis misunderstandings. But in the end, it's just superficial, isn't it? It's just skirting around the edge. It's not getting down to the deep-rooted problem of avichar, pachaya dhanha, pachaya upadana in our own hearts. And the more we debate and the more we argue about it, the further we're getting from the practice of establishing mindfulness of that. So we have to be honest, you know, it's this search for truth to overcome the injustice of greed, anger, delusion and ruling the heart for so long. We have to be honest and say, mm, really the problem is getting down to the practice, it's not the debate, the controversy, it's not the views and opinions is whether I'm really applying myself to sila samadhi panya. How often do we debate aspects of meditation but we haven't really investigated that meditation technique very much at all? People can argue about whether we should do bhutto or anapanasati or just straight insight meditation. How much have those people actually done any meditation at all? Maybe they just spend their whole day talking about it, arguing about it. We argue about the Vinaya. How, how long have people been keeping the Vinaya? Maybe people who've never even kept the Bhikkhu Vinaya can argue all day about it. Generally, the the more you practice, the more you really seek the truth and the less you want to argue. The more you want to use your mental and physical energy for that goal. 
Ajahn Chah, and he went around to study with a few different teachers when he was young. But he didn't talk a lot. He said he just tended to listen, see what they had to say, and compared his own experience. He said he didn't go to see different teachers to argue or debate, just to see, compare, learn from what he could see and know from living with them. Says when the mind sees the truth, then there's nothing to debate anymore. You just know the way things are, whatever other people say about it. The mind has gone beyond just verbalizing, conceptualizing about the Dhamma, idealizing about the Dhamma. It just knows the way things are. It knows phenomena as anicca dukkha anatta. Body and mind are an each dukkha and the mind knows that. So it naturally gets tired of always grasping and clinging at that which is an each dukkha Why cling to something which is suffering? Very rare in the world that you hear in public debate or people out in the world discussing the injustice of how people have been oppressed by the defilements for so many lifetimes. It's never talked about, is it? We talk about the more obvious oppression of one person over another or one group over another. And obviously those can be important as well. But there's no point sorting out that oppression if we don't go on to really look at the most deeply ingrained oppression greed, anger and delusion. In the end, when people oppress each other, bully each other, harm each other, what's fueling that? Oh, it's ignorance, craving and attachment in their own hearts. That's the real culprit, the real one to be sorted out. So, strive on. Continue your practice. Time is short. We don't know how much time we have in this world to practice. While we have the good fortune to be in the robes, we have the Dhamma, the Buddha Dhamma Sangha as a refuge. And take your opportunity. Keep practicing. So I'll leave you with these thoughts tonight.